Eric and I had a lot of fun making that video. <laughs> I tried to challenge him to jump off the bridge from as high as point as he could, but he agreed more than a couple feet. But for video purposes, it all worked out. He's alive, am I right? Is Eric here today? Okay, yes, Eric has not suffered any life-sustaining injuries, and we're all good to go. These are our t-shirts. You'll notice uh, growth group leaders are wearing these this, uh, this morning. Uh, we're gonna, we've ordered a bunch of them. We want to give them out to everybody that comes to the kickoff on Saturday night. We have the growth group kickoff and game night Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Uh, it'll be right over here. We're gonna, we ordered a big tent uh, so that people are not sitting, up, uh, sitting under the sun. I know it'll be hot. Uh, but we'll, we'll have a, a great meal. We're going to have a catered meal together and have some testimonies and then have some games. It's for everybody. It's uh, for everyone in the church to come. It'll just be a great time of uh, fellowship and hopefully just to uh, kind of uh, give us a little taste of the sermon series that's coming up on Counterfeit Gods. I'm really excited about this. I, I, I kind of came up with these these lessons, the sermon series that we have from a book by, the, uh, by Tim Keller. In fact, I have a copy of the book here, uh, and, it's, and that's the title of the book, Counterfeit Gods. I was really challenged by this book and thought, this is a word that all of us need to hear. And so we're going to go through for the next few months, right, leading right up until Thanksgiving, we're going to go through a, a sermon series on this and Growth group lessons that correspond to the messages have been prepared, and I know they'll be passed out on your way out of the uh, sanctuary this morning. You can pick one of those up and just begin to look at it, and that it'll be... I, I don't want to make too strong of a word because I don't want to set myself up, but man, I, I'm excited about this, and it'll be good. And if you want to buy the full book, uh, we actually got a discounted rate because we uh, bought in bulk. And so this book is available on the pretzel kiosk for $10. If you want to uh, buy a book, I think you just take your book, put your name down, and then we'll get in touch with you for payment later on. But uh, it is, it's, a, it's a good book, and it'll be a challenge to you. It'll be a benefit to you uh, for, uh, for your own spiritual walk with the Lord. As we, uh, as we said, next week starts our new series, and so that means this Sunday is the last, series, last sermon in our series on 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians is kind of a, a, a book that doesn't receive a lot of attention when we gather together in church. It's not a Romans or a, or a gospel or, a, or a, a, the book of Psalms. And so I'll have to admit when we went into it, I kind of had a general gist of uh, the themes in the book, but I have, as I have dug into this, and we have dug into this uh, together, uh, I've, I think this has been some wonderful lessons, some excellent things for us to consider and to apply in our own lives. Uh, the, and I think part of the reason is because in this book we have some basic instructions on how to be a Christian. And uh, so if, you'll, uh, if you remember, if you've been with us from the start, we said that Paul was really only with the church in Thessalonica for three weeks. And so it was a very short period of time until he, uh, was, until he had to leave the church. And the reason we know that he was only with them from three weeks is because we're given some background information in Acts uh, chapter 17. Acts 17, 1 through 4, it says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and 
Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his, com- as was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, so three Sabbath days, we, uh, re- re- we reason that he was with them for three weeks, with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving the Messiah, that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is Jesus that I am proclaiming to you. He is the Messiah, he said. And here's the result, verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Silas, as did a large number of Greek-fearing, of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. So in other words, after only three weeks' time, enough people had become believers in Jesus that they were able to form a church. And so uh, these people began to meet together. And Paul barely had time to begin to give them instructions in the faith. But there was enough people that came together to start a church, and it was enough to tick off the Jewish leaders enough that told Paul, you better get out of town or we're going to throw you in jail. And this was no just empty threat. In fact, Paul had come to Thessalonica after he was in prison in Philippi. He was in prison in Philippi for preaching the gospel. And then if you recall recall from the stories in Acts, uh, God sent an earthquake in which caused the jail cells to be broken apart and so that he made a miraculous escape. And so it wasn't really intentional that he went to uh, Thessalonica. He was on the run, but he was there and he settled and enough people began to uh, become Christians that uh, they were able to start a church. He was only with them for a short time, but in, but in that short time, his heart was knit to them. In other words, he cared for them, cared that they would grow in their faith. And that's why he wrote for Thessalonians, to give them some instruction on how to be Christians, a discipleship curriculum, so to speak. And so we've been wrestling with these things ourselves. Uh, Paul's taught us in this letter on evangelism on spiritual care, on purity and sanctity, on perseverance in the faith, and, and, uh, on, and on the end times. And so now in this last section of Thessalonians, we have a theme that kind of ties it all together. Because what jumps out at me in this passage is the importance of community. If all of these things that we have been talking about, it is really impossible to do those things well on our own. We need one another. And as, you, as we read this passage together, I don't know if this is actually Paul's main point in writing this, but it's what jumps out to me all over the place. That we need, as we have talked about in our, in our discipleship circles, we need strong Christian friends. And it becomes abundantly clear in the this last section of uh, of First Thessalonians, so let's read this together. First Thessalonians five verses twelve through twenty eight. The words will be on the screen. I encourage you to open up your own Bible. I think it's helpful to get familiar with your Bible and to follow along in your own uh, Bible. But let's let's read this together. I'll have to admit, as I began, as I first read this this week, or at least read it again this week. Uh, it ties into the growth group, uh, trying to promote the growth group so well. And that was not planned. 
In fact, I kind of like it when stuff like that comes up and it's not planned because I take it as from the Holy Spirit. In fact, I really believe God has a message for us today. So let's read this together. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the, in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and, and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is, your, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Every once in a while, someone will be uh, wrestling with something and they'll come and talk to me and they'll say, what is God's will for my life? This for sure is God's will. We rejoice always. We pray continually. We give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. May God Himself, the God of peace sanctify you through and through may may your whole spirit soul and body and in other words may everything about you be kept blameless at the coming of our lord jesus christ the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it brothers and sisters pray for us greet all god's people with a holy kiss i charge you before the lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You and I, we were meant to live in community with each other. Now, that might not sound like a real radical statement. You and I, we were meant to live in community, but I actually think it is a pretty radical idea because it stands against basically all the direction of culture today. As we ramp up this political season, you listen to, the, uh, to all the candidates, and the promises they make are no longer really aimed at community. They are aimed at individuals. You see, there has been a shift within American culture in which we have become more and more individualistic. And in the process, we've become more and more isolated and in. And in some ways, I am sure there are some benefits to this, but in many ways, especially in our Christian walk, there are dangers to be on this path. Timothy Keller, I just, uh, uh, let me just give you a little foretaste here. Uh, I'm going to quote from his book, Counterfeit Gods. And in this book, he says, Today the need for transcendence and meaning is attached from anything more important than the individual self and from its freedom to uh, to be what it chooses life is about creating a self through the maximization of an of individual freedom from constraints of community so it's an individualism over community 
individualism is a priority. And it's pervasive within our culture, so much so that I don't even think we really recognize it. Every morning I uh, make myself a cup of coffee and I pour the sugar in, right? And then you take the spoon and you mix it around and the sugar dissolves, but it changes the way the coffee tastes. And I think what the culture we live in, sometimes it just kind of slowly pours into our lives and it dissolves. And it changes the way that we think about the world around us, which changes the way we think about one another. It changes even our relationship with the Lord. And this idea of individual over community has affected the way that we even live our Christian lives and the way we do church. And it's pervasive. And sometimes it's so ingrained within us that we don't even recognize it. And I'll admit that sometimes, even for me, it's as a pastor, it's, I have that tendency just to want to pull away and keep to myself. And if we are to grow in our faith, there is much that we will do on our own, just me and Jesus, reading the Bible and praying. But so much of our, our sanctification that we're going to look at from this passage this morning is spurred on and and grows when we are in relationship with one another, when we have those strong Christian friends. And so let me emphasize this important countercultural truth for us this morning. You and I, we were meant to live in community. This idea of community is throughout the passage we have here this morning. As I said, this might not even actually be Paul's main point, but it is a part that it seems to be ingrained within their culture. It's a part of their DNA. Four times in the passage does, uh, do the believers in Thessalonica, uh, they, they are referred to as brothers and sisters in verses 12, 14, 25, and 27. Every verb in this passage is in the plural. It's all meant to be done together. And so, for example, in verse 13, they, uh, when they are ch- challenged to... Actually, I meant to say in verse 14, when they are challenged to urge one another, to, uh, or to warn one another, who are idle or disruptive in their faith, to encourage and dis- the disheartened and to help the weak be patient with everything. Notice who it is directed to. He's just mentioned leaders in the church to hold them in high regard, but he makes the emphasis that this is meant for brothers and sisters, for all of us. And so we are to be involved in one another's lives to help us grow as disciples and to help us grow in our faith. I've entitled this message, Life Together. And again, that comes uh, from a title of one of my favorite books, a book by by, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And in that book, Bonhoeffer writes... The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. And I believe that with all my heart. That's why I want to emphasize growth groups. I want to emphasize these things that give us an opportunity to uh, form strong uh, friendships and relationships with Christians because they they are sources of incomparable joy and strength. And all of us go through difficult times in which we need the strength of one another. I appreciate Diane uh, sharing and just the things that she talked about this morning with the 
loss of uh, her husband and how the growth group rallied around her during those times. That, that the strength that comes from a group along those lines. You know, I visited with uh, Mark Martinez this past week. Many of you know Mark. He usually runs our soundboard this past week. And uh, Mark's been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer, which is really, really a difficult thing. And, I, and I'm thankful for brothers and sisters that rally around him you see, we need one another in our lives. We need, uh, so brothers and sisters become incomparable sources of joy and strength for each other. Now, so much of what we experience in the culture today that is, that is disheartening to us, that is concerning to us, I think can be traced back to this, this uh, unfortunate emphasis of the individual over the community. You know, we think about how there is pervasive loneliness And then we think about how isolation breeds into so many things that grieve our hearts. Isolation breeds fear of others. It breeds racism. It it breeds violence against others. It wasn't just a couple weeks ago we had these mass shootings in in El Paso and and, and, it, and in almost every case that we get like this, it is from an, a person that has become isolated and has uh, lost a sense of community. Greed and fraud. Uh, we know we, we have, as a country, we've experienced times where corporate greed and fraud have done so much damage all around us. And I've read uh, studies that all of that can be traced back to a lack of uh, concern for the community and such a selfishness among those that are involved. And so all of these things uh, begin to just mount a case that we need to be intentional. It is countercultural. It does not come natural. But as a church, I want to challenge us to fight the trends, to to, uh, buck the culture, and to be intentional about seeking uh, to enter into groups that are going to provide those strong Christian friendships. Verse 19 uh, talks about do not quench the spirit to quench the spirit is to throw water on something until it dies out and all of these things that we list even sins when we think of one of the things that we're going to talk about in counterfeit gods is just the idolatry that comes along with uh with sexuality in our culture And pornography and lust are sins committed in isolation from others. And the sins could be listed one upon the other. Do not, Paul challenges us, do not quench the Spirit. And part of what we, uh, and part of how we uh, grow in the Spirit is to let the Holy Spirit work in us through one another. In fact, that's where Paul's ultimately going to go here in verse 23. May the God, may God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May He sanctify you. May He make you holy. God has uh, called us in our sanctification. Part of our sanctification is to be involved in others. That's the way we look at it, at least. That's the discipleship circles. And part of discipleship is to live in uh, with with strong Christian friends. Jesus lived in community with his disciples, and we are created in God's image. And part of what that means is 
that we are created as relational beings. God is a relational being. There is a trinity in which, the whole, in which God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit live in fellowship and collaboration together and, uh, and in perfect love and harmony. And we are called, if we are, and we cre- are created in His image, we are relational beings as well. I've already quoted a couple books, and, uh, but I want to read one more because, um, oh boy, I am running behind this morning, aren't I? Uh, I want to, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that. Um, you know what? No, it's too good. I got to read it. Okay. okay uh, Sebastian Younger. He's not a Christian author, but I found this to be so helpful. A book by, by, uh, entitled Tribe. Early humans, this, is just, this came to mind as I was thinking about how we were created in God's image. This is the way that God has wired us. In fact, this is the way people have lived through most of history. Early humans would most likely have lived in nomadic bands of around 50 people. Uh, small, I mean, if we compare that to churches, a small church, that's, that's healthy. They would have experienced high levels of accidental injuries and deaths. They would have countered uh, domineering behavior by senior males by forming coalitions within the group. They would have been utterly intolerant of hoarding or selfishness. They would have occasionally endured uh, episodes of hunger, violence, and hardship. They would have practiced extremely close and involved child care. They would have done almost everything in company of others. They would almost have, they would almost have never been alone. Here's where the trends began to shift. First, agriculture and then industry changed two fundamental things about the human experience. The accumulation of personal property allowed people to make more and more individualistic choices about their lives, and those choices diminished group efforts towards a common good. As a society modernized, people found themselves able to live independently from the communal group. A person living in a modern suburb can, for the first time in history, go through an entire day or an entire life mostly encountering complete strangers. And I know that to be the case. I know that, there, that unfortunately, this is the case in our society. Unfortunately, this is sometimes the case among members even of our own church. That we wonder, well, do I have the kind of connections that God has created me to have? Unfortunately, we oftentimes don't ask that question until it's set in that we have it. They're surrounded by others and they feel and yet feel deeply, dangerously alone. The evidence that this is hard on us is overwhelming. Numerous cross-cultural studies have shown that modern society, despite its nearly miraculous advances in medicine, science, and technology, is afflicted with some of the highest rates of depression, schizophrenia, poor health, anxiety, and chronic loneliness in human history. As affluence and urbanization rise in a society, rates of depression and and suicide tend to go up rather than down. So that's a lot of information. 
just to drive home the, uh, the fact that it is good for us to be, in group, uh, to be involved with one another. As I mentioned, I met with the growth group leaders last week, and, uh, we, and I said, you know, whenever our growth groups meet together, I want us to do three things. One is I want us to get to spend time getting to know one another. Two, I want to di- see us digging into God's Word. And three, we need to spend time praying for one another. So very quickly, let's just go back to the text, 1 Thessalonians 5. And those are the three activities that I see in this passage. Three important activities for life together. First, to challenge each other with God's Word. And, there, and it's all over the text. It is, as we mentioned, it's, uh, it is in uh, verses 12 and 13 where it talks about respecting leaders. And I think one of the greatest respects that I sense as a, as a pastor of this church is when I know that people are taking the teaching of God's Word seriously and not just in one ear and out the other, but, but wrestling with it and applying it to their lives. And so that's what we see happening here in verses uh, 20 through 22. Do not treat prophecies, in other words, God's Word and the preaching of God's Word with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every type of evil. So how do we test God's Word? Well, we're looking for accuracy. Is what's being said here uh, seem right and congruent with what is in all of Scripture? And then also one of the greatest ways that we uh, test it is by seeing how it would apply to our own individual lives. And that's where growth groups can be so valuable because we challenge one another. We are, we're put in a position that we can't just let it go in one ear and out the other. We have to wrestle with these questions. How does this apply to my own life? How am I going to grow in my faith in light of what's been taught or what's been preached? James 22 gives it to us straight. Do not, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so we're challenged. To, uh, to challenge each other with God's Word. The second thing is to pray for one another. Prayer is all over this passage again. In, uh, in verse 17, it says it directly. Pray continually. Uh, 16 through uh, 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so when we gather together, we pray for one another. We spend time just sharing what's going on in our lives. And it is is through that prayer that we are sanctified. That's where Paul ultimately goes to in verse 23, that we are built up and we are blessed as we wrestle with God's Word and we uh, pray for one another. And Paul is even uh, requests prayer for himself. Verse 25, brothers and sisters, Pray for us. As I read that, I was just challenged. If, if the, the brother in the Lord who wrote how many New Testament books asks others to pray for him, how much more ought we to ask brothers and sisters to pray for us? And the third thing is to share life together. And I'll just point out one thing, uh, one verse, verse 26. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. Uh, I think what's behind that is to share life together. You don't kiss people that you don't know. 
unless you're a weirdo, uh, you kiss people that you share life with, right? That you know well. Now, obviously, this is cultural. And I'm not going to suggest that we go around kissing everybody. You know, the idea is that we get uh, to know one another well enough that however that looks, to put our arm around someone's shoulder, to shake their hands, to, to, uh, to give a bow, to whatever that is, whatever is culturally appropriate, that we are getting to know one another, that we greet one another warmly with affection. And that means that we're sharing life together. You can't kiss somebody who lives three states over. And, and the point is, that when we gather together, we're getting to know someone well enough that we can actually pour blessing and love out into their lives. Now, at my previous church, I'll admit, it was taken quite literally. When I gathered on uh, worship uh, at my previous church, I would kiss every woman that was in that sanctuary on the cheek. And there was one woman I kissed every uh, Sunday on the lips because she expected it. And there was nothing sexual. She was like 50 years older than me. But she wanted a kiss on the lips. And uh, if it was a holy kiss, hey, I'm all for it. And, uh, but the point is, are we entering into one another's lives enough that we feel comfortable with one another? And we're beginning to, and we're willing to share what is really going on into our lives. See, part of the problem that we have this uh, individualism over community is we're not actually entering into anyone's lives. We may be struggling deeply in one way or another, even in our faith, and we don't tell anybody. And how many people that we have known through the years have been in our church and then slowly faded away and uh, even walked away from the faith? And you wonder, where, what went wrong? And in so many cases, I think it is because they lost connection with one another. You see, if we are to persevere in the faith, if we are to share life together, then it will be in groups in which we can gather together and we can study God's Word, we can share life together, and we can pray for one another. That is the way that God has wired us. And I know we talk about these cultural trends it seeps into the church. And there are many Christians today that uh, have the trend to say, I don't really need the church anymore. I'll be a Christian all by myself. And there's a problem with that. That's not how God has created us to live our lives to, or to live, uh, to live out our faith. And so I want to challenge us today on this Sunday that we are emphasizing joining a growth group to give it serious consideration even if you say, I'm going to check it out, to check mark one of those boxes, uh, to come and talk to one of these leaders after the service, and uh, to consider how you might be able to engage in some relationship that, so, that all of us need. So that is the conclusion of First Thessalonians, and next week we will jump into counterfeit gods. If you want a t-shirt, or if you just want to have a good time, make sure you come out to night on Saturday night. That's six o'clock right over uh, here uh, at the basketball court. If you don't know where that's at, but we'll have a sign just right over uh, in this area and we'll have a great time together of fellowship and we'll just continue to just introduce this idea of counterfeit gods together. Let's pause and pray right now. Father God, I thank you for today. 
I thank you for the challenge of your word. And I, and I hope that that came across well for all of us here. I had a sense leading up to this Sunday that this was a word that each of us needed to hear. To be encouraged and to be reminded not to forsake the meeting uh, together, but to continue to gather together and to encourage one another's faith. It's easy. That's the culture. It's easy to stay isolated and stay to ourselves. We've got to be intentional about this. And so God, place it in our hearts. Help us to make it a priority. I know it's not easy. Help us to make it a priority. And may you give us strength to live out our, our Christian lives with one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.